1: Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name's Martine and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help and then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who's an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA Preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting.
0: Good morning, I'm Keith, Alcoholic. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership, we are self supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisational institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety.
1: So, what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of the disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model, and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places prisons institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and to admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it's an allergy of the body, coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops, and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many, and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview a member, an AA member, who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. Hi, Keith. Well, you've already introduced yourself. Welcome. I wonder if we could just just get a bit of background um, to find out a bit more about you. Could you start maybe with how old you are?
0: 76 years of age.
1: And how long have you been sober?
0: 32, nearly 33 years.
1: Wow. And and what do you do? Are you still working?
0: Yes, still got my own business.
1: And what about your family? Are you married? Do you have children?
0: I'm married, don't have any children for my second time marriage.
1: Thanks. And what about your childhood? Could you tell us a bit about where you're from and what was life was like growing up?
0: Right. Um, I was born in Christchurch, and I um, um, grew up in Christchurch and went to school in Christchurch, started working in Christchurch. What I'd say is a pretty normal um, growing up in Christchurch life. Mm-hmm. Um, I had lovely parents and... Um, they looked after me, I was very close to my father. We did a lot of fishing and shooting when I was younger together. And um, the big interesting thing is that my parents hardly drunk. And I still to this day don't know whether they knew and didn't drink for some reason or whatever, but I hardly ever saw my father or my mother have a tipple or a drink or whatever. Um, and I grew up in a very loving, caring household Um, which may seem a bit strange, thing that I've turned out to be an alcoholic, but um, I don't think it matters. It's somewhere in the um, in the genes. There's something there that goes way back, and I don't know. It doesn't really matter actually, because I am what I am. Um, I had a normal childhood, as I said before, and I went through school. Um, I left high school and I went to university briefly, um, but the excitement of cars, money, girls, all the rest of it, sort of steered me away from pursuing a scholastic career, and I bombed out of that and just worked normal type jobs. And um, yeah,
1: great. Um, so I wonder if you could tell us about when you started drinking and how it progressed.
0: Right. So now I can look back at it. Um, with with a clear mind and, um, and honesty. And I guess, you know, I hung around with a group of guys. We flatted together after I went to university, well, pulled out of university. We were flatting by that stage. I'd left home because I wanted my independence. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I was about 17, maybe 18. Um, and I started hanging with guys and they were all reasonably heavy drinkers. Um, and, um, I mean, Drinking was a rite of passage at that age in Christchurch, and you drank, you drove when you were drinking, and which you don't do now. But mm. you know, it was pretty normal. And I didn't think my drinking was out of line; it really wasn't. I was, you know, I drank a reasonable amount, and certainly Friday, Saturday nights was drinking and all the rest of it, and drove with a bit of booze in me, etc. Um, but I now can look at it and I can think. If we were going to the pub, the Bushin or something like that to uh, have a night out, I was more like the first one there and I was more like the last one to leave. Maybe. That tells you something. I don't know. But gradually, I guess into my early 20s, the drinking wasn't an issue. Mm-hmm. I didn't drink a lot. But it was a slow progression. And I then went overseas in my mid-20s and – uh I had about three or four years overseas in Africa and Europe and all the rest of it, and I wasn't drinking much. I wasn't drugging. Um, And I I don't know when I really started um, on that downward slope. I came back to New Zealand. I was living in Auckland, uh, and I was flatting, and, um, yeah, we we had a lot of parties, so the drinking was perhaps slowly progressing up that sleep, uh, up that hill and I then got married and I got transferred with the finance company I was with to Nelson my wife and I went down there she didn't like Nelson Nelson, one little bit she was an Auckland girl I was busy with work and my drinking started progressing um, the marriage it was quite an age difference nine years between my wife and I and maybe I thought the ego and my I guess I was running the roofs because she was so much younger than me. I was in my early thirties at that stage and she was in her early twenties. Anyway, gradually things fell apart and I couldn't see it, but then my drinking got heavier and heavier. Then I transferred, um, anyway, my wife went back to Auckland. I did nothing about repairing the damage and uh, repairing the marriage. Uh, So we separated and eventually divorced. I went to Wellington. And, um, you know, Wellington being what Wellington is, um, I got to know a lot of people there and it was all party time. I was working, I was manager of a finance company and um, I was working long hours and uh, drinking and long hours and drinking. That's my life.
1: So what made you realise that you needed help?
0: Well, then I did a geographical, which is um, quite common, and I came back to Christchurch. And by that stage, my drinking was out of control. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd lost my licence three times, um, and I decided um, to move back to Christchurch, and I did, and my drinking got further down the, uh, it got worse. Um, my drinking really accelerated, and I was losing days, I was, my business took me around the South Island, I was ending up in Nelson, a place like that, and thinking it was Monday and it was actually Wednesday, and God knows where my head was at that stage, but my drinking was really out of control. I was drinking every day, I was missing days, I was losing days. I'd got to the stage where I couldn't survive without alcohol, and it was the only thing to seem to calm my head and sort my nerves out and stop me worrying about things. And the lady I was with at the time was really in despair with me, and she was threatening to lock me away, so to speak. So at that stage, I ended up at Mahu, Sunnyside, or Hillmorton now it's called, and they did an assessment that said, yes, you're a common garden variety drunk, which really hurt. I didn't think I was. So how did you get there? Did you go to your doctor or did you look it up in the yellow pages? What did you do to actually get there? No, um, the lady there, I'd actually, interesting, about six months before that, a friend of a friend who knew nothing about AA took me to an AA meeting. Mm -hmm. And it was a lunchtime meeting and I went into this room and it was full of smoke and bloody um, coffee everywhere. And I thought, this is not me, I'm not down. I haven't been to jail, I haven't been, yeah, yet. Mm -hmm. And of course that's one of the things that I learned very quickly, you know, yet. Um, But she finally got so exasperated, she said to me, we've got to go out to – Hill Morton and do an assessment and I grudgingly agreed thinking well they'll say oh, you're not too bad you know, because da, 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 I was still trying to control it myself and um, but I couldn't and I'd really gotten you know I was living on my own and I was just drinking a hell of a lot and um, I'd isolated myself really I didn't think that was a problem I thought I'm minding my own business I'm doing what I want to do when I want to do I'm not hassling anyone else I'm not upsetting anyone else. I'm not causing anyone else. My mum and my father had died at that stage, so I had no family, no children, no wife, no 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 one to control me. So I could leave this wonderful isolated life of just drink, 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 work, work, drink, drink. and But it was gradually getting worse.
1: So when you, you found your way at your first AA meeting, what was it like? How did you feel?
0: So I went into uh, Hillmorton. I went to Mahu for a three-week program of recovery, etc., And while I was there, I started going to AA meetings. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't remember, some people do, but I don't remember much about my first AA meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, All I knew was that we were encouraged to do three meetings a week, I think. And I did the three meetings because I was told to do them. And for a change in my life, I was starting to take on board, well, you know, perhaps do what you're supposed to do instead of bloody doing it your way, Keith, uh, which wasn't very successful, obviously. Um, So I came out of Mahu Clinic um, feeling really good. I'd had three weeks, no drink. Physically, I was feeling 100%, and I started going to a few meetings, and I didn't really get the program properly. I didn't do a sponsor, and I wasn't going to a lot of meetings. I was still going out of town, uh, work-wise, um, and then I relapsed a few times over the next five or six months and um, ended up in Kennedy. Now, this was my turning point because in Kennedy I met some Korsakov people, of what they say, wet brain, and I don't know, something in that about that uh, came home to me and, they, and I just realised suddenly, um, you're always not good enough, Keith, This is what you'll end up like, or in prison, or both. And suddenly there was a flash there which went, you've got to do. So I came out of Kennedy. I haven't drunk since. But what I did straight away, the only avenue I could see that was going to keep me sober was going to AA and doing what I was supposed to do at AA. Do the programme, do the steps, get a sponsor, all that sort of thing. So I got involved with AA, slowly but surely, and I got a sponsor, and as I said before um, in my sharing that he was a hard guy and he, he didn't put up with any nonsense from me and that's what I needed to tell me what to do and, you know, guide me along and gradually that. So I gradually got into the AA program and started doing it and was going to three or four meetings a week, uh, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending out of town. I'd even do the odd meeting out in Nelson or Dunedin or Queenstown or whatever. Um, so... That was the whole thing that changed me. It was, one, I'd made a resolution once I came out of Kennedy that I had to do something, that my way wasn't the right way. It wasn't going to work. So getting into the AA program sorted me out, and gradually I got more and more involved with AA and did quite a bit of service in the early days. And um, in fact, I remember, and I still laugh at this, but I remember going to... um, Mahu clinic on Sunday mornings which was one of my first meetings and still is my home group and a big meeting for me and I remember uh, I think I'd only been going to Mahu clinic for a month or two a Ma- Mahu AA meeting on Sunday morning for a month or two and someone said to me Keith you'll make a bloody good tea boy you can wash the dishes you can make the tea and all the rest of it I actually was quite proud of that and what it did the important thing about it was that after the meeting when you're doing the dish, you talk to people you talk at a common level and you get to know the people. So you develop that fellowship factor, the friendship, and the. because you're both on the same page. And um, yeah, I was, I was too. Te- in fact, I couldn't get rid of the job. <laughs> After about two years, they still said, You're still doing a good job, you can stay there. And in those days, the AA, there was a lot of old fellas that had been around for years that didn't put up with a hell of a lot of bullshit from someone like me. And they just told me as it was, straight up. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's how I really got into AA and got involved in AA.
1: So these days, you know, being sober, how do you cope with difficulties that come your way?
0: Well, um, yeah, well, um, I guess I just work through them now, Um I do a gratitude list occasionally, and I quite often at night I'll just sit there, lie in bed, and think about how the day was. Did I do something wrong? Do I need to make an apology to someone? Um, Have I got any issues that need sorting out? And um, yeah, um, I'm not sure. I don't really have a lot of difficulties now. You know, I used to own land revenue heap and tax now. Now I just pay my. When my accountant says, you know, you owe the revenue some money, I just pay the cheque. and Well, I'll just transfer the money online banking and I don't have any issues.
1: Yeah. So how would you describe your life today? I mean, how how do you feel personally and yourself?
0: Aside from getting old and starting to wear out a wee bit, um, my life's in a, a very good space. I've got a lovely wife um, who doesn't understand anything about AA or whatever, because she's not a Kiwi for a start. Um, and it's not part of her culture, but, um, she accepts, she's never seen me drunk and hopefully she never will. Um, I guess I have a very rounded life now. I, I, I've got my, still got my same business I had when I was drinking, but it's, it goes very well now. I mean, I'll be giving it up shortly and retiring, I guess, I don't know, who knows, um, yeah, I, I, I usually find that I don't have too much. I work through it and I might discuss it with my wife or with some business acquaintances if I've got some issues work-wise. And that can happen quite often. Um, but, yeah, I don't have anything that's that even would tempt me. I mean, the, the, the option of drinking now is just, it's just not an option for me. I just yeah. don't we got alcohol. My wife drinks a bit of wine and whatnot, and there's alcohol around the place, But, and we're out a lot socially. Um, but nothing's now even – I don't even consider it. It's not an option.
1: What about your relationships with friends, families, and loved ones now that you're sober? Oh,
0: they just improved. I, I still remember now vividly the when, when I stopped drinking and a month or three or four or five, after, I mean, I went up and down and I relapsed. Uh, a couple of people shook their head. But then a few months later, people started saying, Keith, you're looking so well. Mm-hmm. Physically, you look so healthy. You're not the temperamental, argumentative <laughs> um, mood swings that I used to have. I, all classic symptoms of alcoholism. Yeah, I, I didn't have that. You, you're, and I. the friends that I'd – some friends disappeared because um, they didn't want to know me and I was sober. But my good friends that had been around are known for years. They all came back, and our, our friendship perhaps became more solid because I wasn't out of it all the time yeah. and stealing their alcohol and all sorts of crazy things that I would getting up to. Um, so my friendships and my relationships improved. Um, my mum died um, while I was sober. Um, I don't think she ever understood or accepted that I was an alcoholic, but and that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But at least for the few months before she died, I could spend every day a few minutes with her. That wouldn't have yeah. happened if I'd been drinking. yeah, I might have got back there once a week if I was lucky. yeah. But I spent a lot of time with mum, which was good. Um, my dad had died while I was still drinking, so um, I couldn't make amends to him, but I made a lot of amends to my mother. and Yeah, that, so, yeah, uh, everything. I guess the fact that my head was clear... Um, and I made amends to people and I did some of the I did all the steps and I've done them two or three times actually but to different degrees of success and all the rest of it but um, yeah just life just became so much better yeah that's you know better is not perhaps the right word but it's close enough
1: yeah for sure so AA is described as a spiritual program Um, what does spirituality mean to you
0: yeah, an interesting one that because it's a bit like um, the, um, the, the spiritual to me. It was like sort of the God. Um, I still struggle with the word God, but I I can accept higher power um, or HP, as a lot of people call it. Um, and to me, the two are sort of tied together. I feel spiritual. I feel it's within yourself. It's something that you feel within yourself that. Gradually, as your life gets better, you feel as though you're, yeah, it's it's an awkward one, spiritual, but yeah, I guess it's feeling a lot better,
1: okay. clearer. Yeah. And what advice would you give to someone who's sort of thinking they may have a drinking problem? What would you suggest to them?
0: Well, talk about it with their, obviously their partner or their, their wife or whatever, or husband, whatever the case is. Um, and usually most people that are having a problem don't accept they've got a problem mm. so they need someone to give them some direction yeah and, and whether it's a wife husband close business acquaintance or close friend doesn't really matter and if, if they think yes you, you sound like I got a problem then kept, come to an AA meeting or ring the AA hotline and um get someone to come around and have a talk and gradually it's bloody hard to accept and And most people don't accept it the first, second, or third or fourth time. Gradually, the seed's implanted there and gradually you'll come to the realisation you've got to do something about it.
1: Keith, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us.
0: It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or you'd like some information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800-AA-WORKS. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear more from AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can f- also find podcasts of our past show on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz, or you can download, subscribe, and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to stop, we can help, and you don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant, grant me, me the, the serenity. serenity. To, to accept, accept the, the things, things I cannot change, change courage to change the things, things I can, and the, the wisdom to know the difference. difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.